The national holiday Mother's Day has a creepy origin story. And then we take a look at the story of a man who wanted to go hunting. He grabbed his rifle, some cans of grub, got his camping supplies, and headed off into the forest. But one night he woke up in the arms of Daddy Bigfoot. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. We got a ton of stuff to cover today. A lot of stuff. First off, I want to give a shout-out to our newest Patreon. We got a bunch of new Patreons last week. Really, really appreciate it. Corey O. It's Corio. Corey. Corey, thank you so much for supporting the show. We really, really appreciate it a lot. You are going to be our captain this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. That's totally fine. Just help get the word out about the show. That helps so, so much. So, Corey, let's fire up that Carpenter Copter. First off, we are headed back in time. The very first Mother's Day. Now, as we're flying over the landscape, we're headed out to West Virginia. A little town called Webster, West Virginia. There's this little girl being born. We're not actually watching her birth. That's disgusting. But I find the miracle of childbirth. I'm sure it's great and all. I just don't want to see babies come out of people. So we're, we have our backs to this little log cabin. Checking our watch. We're like, oh, how long is this going to take? How long does it take for old-timey people to give birth? We're back in the year 1848. So this isn't like no emergency room stuff. Like this is straight up like midwives with like ice cream scoops. And they didn't even have ice cream scoops back then. Big old wooden spoons that your grandma used to spank you with. They're just... Pulling the baby out. Like a pizza coming out of an oven. And eventually, little Anna Jarvis comes out. She's the ninth of 11 children. So little Anna, little Anna is raised in this really big household. And over time, you know, she grows up. She leaves the little town of Webster, West Virginia. She heads out on her own. She gets a job. She's a professional. She's working in an office. Her mom gets sick. And she brings her mom up to Philly, where Anna's living at now. And takes care of her mother until she passes away. Now, she always had a very, very strong connection to her mom. And she felt that there should be a Mother's Day. And she also felt that it shouldn't be mothers, like is all of them. It's mother apostrophe S. So it's all about your mom. It's the ultimate mom joke, but it's a fun one. So her mom passes away and she starts this movement to start Mother's Day. And through the course, like, there's a ceremony held in West Virginia, and the whole thing is white carnations is the symbol of Mother's Day. And Anna Jarvis sends down 500 white carnations to celebrate her mother, and the other moms as well. Over the course of a couple, this it's a huge celebration. Like, people really, really think it's the bee's knees. So, after a couple years, the president, Woodrow Wilson, says, let's declare a national Mother's Day. Now, her mom died on May 9th. So it really was a lot connected to Anna Jarvis's story. Her mom died on May 9th. Woodrow Wilson says, the second Sunday in May will be Mother's Day. So it's all kind of connected to her. Okay, that, that's a sweet story. You love your mom. You want to celebrate her. You want to celebrate all moms. That's totally awesome. But then you have a bunch of fat cat businessmen sitting in a big old boardroom smoking big old stogies. <sighs> How can we make money off of these broads? How can we make some money off these skirts celebrating their, what do you call them again? Mamas. Now, that might sound like a joke, but it's actually not far from the truth. And it's a little bit of foreshadowing. What happened was the greeting card and the floral industry jumped all over this. 
they go, oh, yeah, you're right, dude, mom's rock. Here's a bunch of stuff that we can sell for that day. Now, that's not a shock. Like, we, we see the ultra commercialization of all this stuff. Back then, at this point, we're like in the year 1920. We're starting to see the floral industry, the greeting card industry, the candy industry really jump all over this thing. Now, you have Anna Jarvis, and this was her thing about choosing the white carnation. Here's a quote from her. Its whiteness is to symbolize the truth, purity, and broad charity of mother love. Its fragrance, her memory, and her prayers. The carnation does not drop its petals, but hugs them to its heart as it dies. And so, too, mothers hug their children to their hearts, their mother love never dying. That's beautiful, right? And I didn't know, I don't know, is that biologically true? Is that like the carnation flower dries up? The petals don't fall off, it kind of dries into itself. Like a mama saying, I'll never let you go, baby. That's adorable, right? But the floral industry goes, you know what would be really adorable? More money in our pockets. Because the white carnation was the symbol of Mother's Day, as Mother's Day got closer, they just jacked the prices up. And then they go, well, that was good. That was a great idea. But we can also diversify. Let's start advertising red carnations as well. It doesn't have to be white. Any color carnation is fine. Now, that that's fine. That's just capitalism. But this story starts to get darker because Anna Jarvis is like, no, 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 what are you guys doing? Like, you know, this isn't about just buying flowers and sending them to your mom. Like, sure, I did that. But it's also about, like, thinking about your mom, being in touch with your mom. It's not about getting these little gifts and send to them. So we start to see a rift between the person who created Mother's Day and everyone profiting behind it. She's the face of it, and people still look at her. People still connect her and her mom to the origin of it. So what she says has a lot of sway. So when she says this quote here, quote, a printed card means nothing except that you are too lazy to write to the woman who has done more for you than anyone in the world. And candy? You take a box to mother and then eat most of it yourself. A pretty sentiment, unquote. I mean, she's blasting dudes, right? First off, I don't think I've ever done that. I mean, sure, I've sent out greeting cards before, but I don't think I've ever given anyone candy and go be like, hey, you mind if I kick it here for a while? That's what a drug dealer does, right? Like, you go over, you hang out with a drug dealer just to do some of his drugs and be like, get done playing NBA Jam 2003, and you're like, oh, I gotta go back to work. They're like, what? Well, you just took a four-hour lunch break? Yeah, see you later, man. You don't normally give someone candy and eat half of it, but... Apparently, that was a huge problem back in the 1920s, leading cause of the Great Depression, actually. So she was putting these dudes on blast. And people were like, okay, this is kind of weird because we really respect you and this is about something you created. But on the other hand, all of these advertisements and everything is like making our minds think that this is okay. It's okay to just send the carnations or red carnations. It doesn't matter. And it's okay to pay more for this stuff. Anna Jarvis begins getting arrested. For public disturbances. Because she's protesting these people. Imagine if you created a holiday. And then you're just dreading it every year. Because you know you're just going to see all the ads in the old-timey newspapers. And on the radio and stuff like that. You're going to be pulling your hair out. You know this is coming. And everyone's going to look to you and be like, hey, are you going to put up with this again? She starts holding these public demonstrations. The monster she created has become a commercial nightmare. The big fat cats in their building. It's much taller now from all that carnation money. Yo, we got to take care of this problem. This birdie's squeaking too much. She gets put into an insane asylum. And the thing about insane asylums, they're not super cheap to be in. 
So who pays the bills to keep her in the asylum until she dies? The greeting card in the floral industry. Pay for all of her bills while she's in there. She died three years later after being put in a mental hospital. That's a creepy ending, honestly. Like, that is... A lot of times people fear the police state, fear the government police state, and that is something to be afraid of, but the the corporate police state is sometimes even more chilling. You can vote out politicians, you, you can have revolutions and overthrow governments, it happens quite a lot. But corporations stay. It's not a real way to overthrow them. And even if you say, well, we'll just boycott them, we'll make them out of business, the board of directors just goes to another company. It's... it's Absolutely terrifying. This woman started this day to celebrate her mom, ended up in an insane asylum, and she was put there by the people who were profiting off the day she created to celebrate her mother. So while you may not remember the name Anna Jarvis, remember it this year, and you probably remember from now on, because this will be a factoid whenever someone's talking about Mother's Day, you'll walk up to them with a cup of coffee in your workplace and be like, you want to hear something crazy? You want to hear something crazy? Creepy, creepy story. Okay, let's go ahead. Corio, I want you to take that carpenter copter, and I want you to fly it on out to British Columbia, Canada. (laughs) Flying low over the trees, pine needles getting blown off by the rotors. They're like sticking in animals' eyes. Horses are walking by. Oh, that's what I get for being in the forest. Are there horses in the forest? Like, where's a horse? What's a horse's natural habitat? Like, where did the horse... Oh, no. Is Jason going to start talking about evolution again? Where did did horses evolve from? Here's my guess. Horses evolved from, like, plains and stuff. Like, um, Mongolia, where everything was flat. Because a horse would totally suck in a forest, right? Because it has hooves. You need to have, like, claws and stuff, or little, like, hands for the roots. I'm not saying the horses can't walk through forests, because I have seen quite a lot of... Disney animated movies like Snow White. There's always horses running around the forest saving a princess. What's Snow White a princess? That doesn't matter. That's not what we're talking about. The point is, I don't think she was. I think she married a prince, so by default became a princess. But she wasn't royal blood. Wasn't she just some old girl? Like, just some chick hanging out with her mom? What what's, what's story of Snow White? Yeah, she's just some villager, right? And then the queen tried... If, if the queen... Never mind. Well, I'm getting totally distracted. <laughs> My other thing I've been distracted. I think horses probably came from the plains areas, right? But anyways, <laughs> yes, Corio's flying the helicopter. We're just like circling around. He's like, are we going to land somewhere? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. We'll land right there in that flat spot full of horses. We, we crush a couple of them, but it's okay. I own stock in a glue company. The year is 1924. Actually, I didn't think about it. That's really close to our last story. But anyways, we're at the Toba Inlet, British Columbia, Canada. And I got most of this information from an article on UFO Insight, and it was written by Marcus Loth. So I always like to give credit to when I get a lot of information from one particular site, I like to give him credit. Let's go ahead and take a walk here. We'll walk through the forest. And we see a man sitting there with his sleeping bag, just hanging out, watching the sunset over the landscape. His name is Albert Ostman. Now, he's up there because he heard a rumor that there's a lost gold mine up there somewhere. So Albert Ostman's out there. But before he left town, a bunch of the natives were like, yo, before you go, dude, just to let you know, man, there's a Sasquatch up there. There's a big old Bigfoot. 
And he's like, I'll be fine. I'm not worried about it. And he he wasn't worried about it. Now, he packed up a bunch of supplies. He was up there for the long haul. He knew that if this was a lost mine, it was going to take him a while to find it. Grabs a sleeping bag, has 80 pounds of supplies, and his little trusty tin of snuff. Now, that's not a videotape where someone is murdered for commercial purposes. It's an old-timey way. I actually think it was the first Western way to do tobacco. It's um, finely ground tobacco that you snort. But you would put... I've done it before, and it sucks, dude. I mean, like, it'll get you high. It it will definitely get you high. It's extremely painful. One one person described it as feeling like he got shot in the face. You put a little bit, put a little bit of the... I bought it at Walgreens. Back when I was chewing tobacco all the time, I was always looking for a new way to get uh, nicotine. Put a little bit on your, um, in between your thumb and your finger on that little webbing you have there. You snort it up and it feels like you've taken toothpicks and shoved them up your nose. It's super painful. It'll light you up. It will make you feel good. I remember once I did it and I could see my skeleton as I was eating. Not like sitting across the table from me. I felt my eyeballs (laughs) recess into my head. And as I ate, I could see my teeth eating the burrito. It was super bizarre. Your mileage may vary on that, though. I might just be, you're like, Jason, what? Is this nicotine? It's not acid. Whatever. It tripped me out. So anyways, your mileage may vary on that. Don't go out and buy a bunch. Spend a weekend with your buddies and be like, what? This sucks. All it did was give me high blood pressure. It's a three-day hike. He's walking up. He's walking up through the woods. On the third day, he's sleeping, right? I mean, not all day. At night. On the third night, he's sleeping. And then, what? Oh, I feel what weird. This <laughs> Wait, what's going on? And his eyes are slowly opening up, huh? And he feels a... It's a feeling that I don't think you could place right away, but if you thought about it, you could figure it out, right? He f- could feel in the pitch blackness of night that he was being carried. Specifically, carried over somebody's shoulder. Now you're like, Jason, how would you ever figure that out? Think about it. If you, you, that, that would make your body bounce in a certain way, right? If someone was carrying you with like both their arms under your, like carrying you like a bride over a threshold, you'd be like, oh, I'm, this is very romantic. If you're being like lugged around like a sack of potatoes, I think your internal gyroscope would be able to be like, oh, this isn't good. This is not romantic. So he's in a sleeping bag and he's being carried by this thing. He can tell it's really tall and obviously really strong because it's carrying him around for hours. Now, okay, this this story, I don't want to nitpick every single part of it because it gets pretty nitpicky here, but how long could the strongest man carry you? Like, assuming, first off, I'm 270 pounds, so the strongest man carrying me would have to be quite strong to even carry me around the block. But I don't mean like his internal strength. I mean like at a certain point, I'm going to start wiggling, right? To get away. I'm like, no, no. If you carry me over the threshold, that means we're legally married and you like start wiggling around, right? So come on, dude, for hours. But the point of that is to basically make it so our, our hero, our possibly lying hero, our unreliable narrator, Albert Ostman, had no idea where he was at. If it only carried him five feet and set him down, then it'd be easy for him to find his way home. But anyway, so for hours, he's walking around. Maybe at a certain point, this creature put him on top of a washer and dryer machine, did some laundry, and he still felt himself vibrating. He's like, ah. And then he picked him back up. But anyways, for hours, he's walking around. And then 
he gets dropped off. And he's so scared, he has no idea what happened, he's so scared he hides in his sleeping bag. Until the sun comes up. Sun coming back up over the landscape. And that's when he realizes where he's at. He's at a place he's it's, they described as surrounded by cliffs on all sides. So he basically a valley would be another way to say that. He's in a valley. And as he's waking up, I don't think he actually fell asleep. I don't think he was like, oh, that was a long walk. Time to take a nap. I hope my kidnapper doesn't do anything horrible to me. <laughs> I think he was awake and terrified. But anyways, as the sun comes up, he starts to realize the gravity of his situation. Because he sees, you guessed it, Bigfoot standing there. And standing there? Standing there and there? What? So what happened was, <laughs> to be continued, what happened was he got kidnapped by Bigfoot. And then Bigfoot dropped him off at his house. Now, technically, it's not a house. It's just like a clearing in the woods. But there he sees an eight-foot-tall Bigfoot, who he estimates weighs about 800 pounds. He sees a seven-foot-tall Bigfoot, who he says weighs about 600 pounds, and he describes as an old lady Bigfoot with bangs. That's weird, right? You can only get bangs by cutting them, but apparently she has access to really sharp rocks. She has bangs. And then we have this great quote. So he's checking out this this female Bigfoot. He's been up in the woods for three days. That's a long time, guys. You know, it's been a long time since he's seen a woman. Here's a quote. He's looking at this seven foot tall, 600 pound old lady Bigfoot. And we get this quote. She was not built for beauty or speed, which is funny because whenever I look at a woman, I go, She's not that hot, but I bet you she's really fast. I bet you she can run 100-meter dash like that. That's how I always, when I look at women, I'm like, okay, is she beautiful? Eh, she fast. She was not built for beauty or speed. Some of those lovable braziers. Okay, so... <laughs> I forgot about this part. So, the first thing he goes is, oh, yeah, she's, she's not that good looking, and she's not that fast. And that's how I like my women. I like them beautiful and quick. But then he goes on to basically, this is his next thought. He's looking at a seven foot tall, 600 pound monster in the woods. And he's checking out her chest. So here's the rest of this quote. Some of those lovable braziers and uplifts would have been a great improvement on her looks and her figure. So basically she had big old droopy boobs. Which, I mean, again, I've just been kidnapped by an eight foot tall, 800 pound monster Throwing in front of a seven foot tall, 600 pound monster. I'm checking out her big old boobs. Now, I'm not saying that I would never check out the boobs, right? Uh, eventually, I would first, like, you know, do a quick glance and then, like, pretend I didn't. Pretend there was, like, a bumblebee flying and I was trying to dodge it like Neo. But eventually, I'd be checking out her boobs. That wouldn't be the first thing I'd do, though. And I definitely wouldn't think, oh, she could use a, bra. <laughs> she could use a giant bra. Giant. Get two squirrels. Time together. Now, there's also two other Bigfoots here, but they're tiny guys. There's a little boy, what he assumed were a little boy and a little girl. I don't know if the little girl had bangs as well, but little boy, little girl one. Now, this is, again, an interesting, when I say interesting, I'm, it's a code word for suspicious part of the story. So he brought 80 pounds of supplies with him, right? He's sleeping in a sleeping bag. He gets carried a couple miles. So obviously he doesn't have all of his supplies with him. Now he does have his snuff with him. Now that's fair because I have fallen asleep with chewing tobacco in my pocket or chewing tobacco near me. 
So I totally get that. So he probably did go, oh, sweet snuff, you love me so. You were built for beauty and speed. I love you so much. Takes to sleep. Also in his sleeping bag was his rifle. Is that a hunter's out there? Carson, I know you're a big hunter. Do you ever sleep with your rifle in your sleeping bag? Is that something hunters do? Because that sounds incredibly dangerous, right? You're like, oh, let me put this loaded firearm in the place where I'm going to sleep. Not only that, but I also have night terrors. Ah! I mean, that sounds extremely dangerous. But in this story, he had maybe it's an old-timey thing. Maybe it makes sense so, like, a bear doesn't pick it up, start, you know, shooting people. Or just, like, a random lunatic. Maybe that's the thing. But anyway, so, in his sleeping bag that was carried all these miles, he has a few other supplies and he has his rifle. But he's sitting there. Now, at this point, he's sitting up in his sleeping bag. He's still checking out Mama Bigfoot, being like, "Mm." And he asks. He's curious what's going on. Obviously, he says, What you fellows want with me? None of the Bigfoots answer him. They just keep going about their business. And so now his next thing is, okay, I've been kidnapped. I have my snuff on me. That's cool. I have my rifle. I don't know what these creatures plan to do with me. I've never even known these things existed. I've only heard them as legend. I want coffee. So then he goes on this weird quest about how he can brew some coffee. And he's thinking, okay, I have a little bit of coffee on me. Like, again, dude, come on, you... Again, that's a very suspicious part of the story. I don't, I've never been kidnapped myself, but I don't think I'd ever get kidnapped, be there for five minutes and go, you know what? I could really use a Diet Pepsi. I definitely wouldn't get up and start looking for a Diet Pepsi in the kidnapper's lair, but he gets up and he grabs his rifle and he's like, I want to get some water because I got to make some coffee at that point. What basically. He doesn't get caught. You can want it, but you don't have it. Also, you're surrounded by monsters. So he he basically builds up this narrative. So day one, he has a couple tins of food. Eating it. Now, the baby Bigfoots are kind of like checking him out from behind a tree. They find him very, very curious. Mama Bigfoot and Dad Bigfoot just seem to be doing their own thing. Just kind of walking around. Just not really interacting with the main character at all at this point. And at one point, he pulls out his snuff, does a little sniff of it, right? And the boy Bigfoot walks up to him and is kind of like looking at him. And he's like, you want to see this can of snuff? You want to see the can? And the little boy Bigfoot will run away. Hey, come back here, little kid. Come back here. <laughs> now it's kind of creepy the way I'm doing it. Come here, little kid. Baby Bigfoot comes back over. He He has the can. He gives the can of snuff to the kid. And the kid's looking at it. And then he takes it to Papa Bigfoot. And he's like... Papa, what is this thing? <laughs> the dad Bigfoot's like, why are you talking like a baby? You're 12. You're 12-year-old Bigfoot. But me not know, me other than that, me not know what shiny thing is. Possibly some sort of alloy. He's scientist Bigfoot. He actually studied at University of Washington. Appears to be some sort of metallic thing. Appears to be ore from Earth. Manufactured into tin. Here, give it back. That's day one. That's all that happens in day one, basically. That's all that happens in day one. He's making connections with the Bigfoot family. Day two. Now, he's looking at his supplies, and he goes, I gotta get out of here, right? I don't know. And this is smart, because I probably would have just kept on messing around, checking checking out Mama Bigfoot, trying to hit on her. Hey, yeah, it's really sucky that Daddy Bigfoot makes you do all the dishes, right? What? I mean, don't you ever feel like you have a purpose in life? Don't you ever feel like maybe there's something out there just for you? 
Oh, really? You think me have purpose? <laughs> me always want to write vampire romance novel, she would say, and I'd put my arm around her. <laughs> I'd have to get a step ladder and put my arm around her shoulder and be like, I think it's just time that you kind of explored the world. I mean, you got married so young. You got married at the age of 420. I know, I know, but you still have another 2,000 years in front of you. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, let's go into that cave and talk more before Daddy Bigfoot shows up. Oh, me not know, strange man, strange, handsome man. That's what I would do. So I would be boned. She would be boned, too. But the point is, is like, I wouldn't be thinking far enough ahead. I'd be too busy banging Mama Bigfoot. This guy, he's an, again, I'm not an outdoorsy person. This guy's an outdoorsy person. So he goes, okay, I have eaten some of my food, and I have some food left. That's generally how food works. But I'm thinking about getting back home now. It took me three days to get up to my camping spot. I was carried for hours, so I'm farther away than I thought I should be. I'm going to need enough food. I'm going to need at least three days worth of food to get back, assuming that I can't shoot a squirrel or a horse at some point. I got to have enough food to get back. So he starts hatching his... I would have just kept eating the, eating the food and banging the mom. Like, that's just that. And I would have ran out of food and been like, uh-oh. I've been eating baby Bigfoot. No, those are my kids. Hey, sorry, lady. <sighs> Be free. Go find your own purpose in life. No, you're eating my children. Happy Mother's Day. Arr. But anyways, Albert is, is very well prepared and he's not a maniac. He starts hatching a plan. He goes, I have to get out of here soon. Because I can't keep eating this food. I'll need it to get home. So he goes, uh, first off, I'm going to see, you know, Path of Least Resistance. He packs his stuff up, grabs his rifle, stands up, and starts to walk out of the clearing. And Papa Bigfoot stops him dead in his tracks. Says, Soka, Soka. Fine, I don't even know what that means. But I'm assuming from your bared fangs and your muscular physique, it means sit down. So I'm going to go sit back down. He goes, okay, that's not good. He's telling me to soak a soka. So I'm going to go sit down. Now he, the timer's still running. And he says, I had six rounds in my rifle. Six rounds in my rifle. But I don't even know if the bullets will kill these things. So at this point, actually, he's sizing up. He's like, there's four of them. I have six bullets. I think specifically he was trying to size up the dad. I don't think he wanted to kill the kids. I was ready to eat them. But again, I'm not well prepared for this adventure. He goes, even if I put six rounds into this giant monster man it may not even hurt him so he's kind of thinking well i probably shoot my way out of here it's probably not that smart so he starts to think let's escape let's do a sneaky escape so the next day comes this is day three mama bigfoot's walking around she had gone off on some mini mom adventure some side story she comes back is having an affair with me she comes back holding these roots and these like brushes stuff like a uh, reeds and little Sun Bigfoot's walking over, and he's carrying some sweet roots. And he actually comes and he gives it to Albert. So they are feeding him at this point. The first two days he hadn't been fed other than the food he was eating. But now Baby Bigfoot's like, oh, he need nourishment. That's what scientists Bigfoot teach me. Living things need to eat too. And he brings him some sweet roots. But Albert's still thinking, I'm going to blast this kid in the face as he's getting the sweet root. Thank you, young man. He's imagining a bullet going right into his left eyeball. But he's like, okay, maybe I can get someone to bang Mama Bigfoot that will distract her. This baby Bigfoot seems to have nice interactions with me. His sister's always hiding behind that tree. That's weird. Papa Bigfoot, wait a second. Baby Bigfoot has interactions with me. Maybe I can trick. Then he hatches a plan. After all of the little elements that popped up. 
After he hears the strange moaning coming from the bushes from Mama Bigfoot, now he knows it's time. He comes up with this plan. He wants to get the boy to get Papa Bigfoot over here so he can blow snuff into his face. This stuff is toxic. Like I said, it is extremely painful to use as appropriate. It's extremely painful if you use it the way it's designed. Having it blown into your face would not would be not fun at all. Be even less fun than actually using the drug the way you're supposed to use the drug. Here's his here's his thought process. Here's a quote. Because this whole story's first person. It's an old timey story, but here's his thought process. Here's this here's this great quote. If only I could get the old man to come over to me. Get him to eat a full box of snuff. That would kill him for sure. And that way kill himself. I wouldn't be guilty of murder. Unquote. That's not how that works, right? Like, I'm sure the law... I'm sure there are several laws that if you trick someone to, into eating poison, that is murder. And also, why is he worried about it? It's not like this guy is going to go to the cops the next day. Oh, me assaulted. Me want him held under probable cause. No, he's a Bigfoot. People don't even know he exists. If he walked into town to file charges against you, they're just going to shoot him or arrest him or be amazed by him. Which, if the last one, if Bigfoot walked into town and pointed you out, being like, that man murdered my family, you'd probably go to jail without a trial just because Bigfoot accused you. But anyways, that's his plan. He's going to get it all up in him. He's going to kill him. So anyways, he also has this other thought process going into his face. He wants to get all of this snuff all over this dude's face. And then he has this, this is bizarre. This is a really creepy quote. Albert, there's a thing called saying the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. This is the perfect example of saying the quiet part loud. He's, he's sizing up the family. So now he's thinking about what he's going to do. Now he has this master plan. He's going to get this snuff all up in this dude's grill. He's going to bounce, but he's sizing up the family. Quote, the old lady was a meek old thing. The young fellow was by this time quite friendly. Oh, those are nice things. I mean, meek's kind of lame, but pretty nice. Well, that's not what we're talking about. Here's the rest of this quote. The girl would not hurt anybody. Her chest was flat like a boy's. That's, okay, <laughs> first off, that's, why are you sizing her up like that? That's gross. That's just gross in general. Why are you even, no why are you even noticing that? And in noticing that, why are you writing that down? And as you're writing that down, for the world to see, if, if this part was not in your Bigfoot kidnap story, if he had never written this down, at no point when someone, a Bigfoot researcher, or someone else is re reading the story, being like, Albert, Albert, stop, stop. Okay, before you go any further, what was the girl's, little girl's chest? No one's asking that question, and no one's definitely asking what comes up next. Let me go back to this quote, as disturbing as it is to read. Quote, her chest was flat like a boy's, no development like young ladies. I am sure if I could get the old man out of the way... Okay, I can't even... I can't even read this without thinking of the implications of this. Oh my god. Because you can think about this guy writing this story as he's in the clutches of a Bigfoot, or just the guy writing this story and his name is Humbert Humphrey or whatever that dude was from Lolita. I mean, okay, let me finish. Let me go back to this. I'm sure if I could get the old man out of the way, I could easily have brought this girl out with me to civilization. But what good would that have been? I would have to keep her in a cage for public display. 
I don't think we have any right to force our way of life on other people, and I don't think they would like it. The noise and racket in a modern city, they would not like any more than I do. That's the reason why we don't kidnap people, right? Because it's too noisy. Oh, dude, I would kidnap you and take you to a cabin in the middle of nowhere, little girl Bigfoot. But I don't live in the middle of nowhere. I live in the big city and super loud. So for that reason, and that reason alone, I will not kidnap you. But there's a lot of reasons. I mean, that's that's disgusting, right? I wonder how many kidnappers out there are like, I would really like to kidnap, but I don't have the space. If only I had some sort of dungeon. I'd kidnap stuff. I mean, that's bizarre. And again, you would have never, if he did not include that part of this Bigfoot story, at no point would you have thought, you know, if I was there, I'd probably kidnap the... And the thing is, is what makes it creepy is the he could have just grabbed the little boy one who's his friend. Okay, this is creepy as well. This is equally creepy. But the little boy one's his buddy. They could have turned it into a Harry and the Hendersons thing where the little boy wanted to go back to civilization with him. And he's like, no, you have to stay here with your own kind. That's less creepy than I'm thinking about kidnapping the young girl. But it's too noisy. <laughs> it's too noisy where I live, so... I guess I won't. But anyway, so that thought process did pass this man's brain. It's the next day. And his, he's ready to hatch his plan. He's ready to hatch his plan. Papa Bigfoot's walking around. Mama Bigfoot's sitting there smoking a cigarette. She's had a really fun roll in the hay. Uh, little girl Bigfoot. Now we know why she's hiding behind the tree the whole time. She's on Stranger Danger. That's why she's hiding behind the tree the whole time. The boy Bigfoot's hanging out. Now he he's sitting there. Albert's sitting there with a can of snuff. He's kind of taunting the baby with it. And he's kind of now taunting the Papa Bigfoot with it, too. Papa Bigfoot comes over now. He unscrews it. And he takes a little pinch and he puts it on his hand. And he does a sniff. And Papa Bigfoot walks over and is kind of looking and seeing what he does. Now, he wants to emulate this behavior. And Albert's like, dude, he just needs to get a little bit closer. A little, little bit closer. I'm going to just throw this all over him, dude. I'm going to ruin this guy's day. But before Albert can throw the snuff at him. Papa Bigfoot grabs the tin of snuff from Albert's tiny little hand and pours it all down his throat. There's a second of clarity, right? There's a point point in life where you ingest something you shouldn't have ingested. Now, usually it's like, oh, I'm on a diet, but I ate a piece of pizza. And then there's Yosemite Sam. Oh, no, I just ate a ghost pepper given to me by this very sexy rabbit in a dress. Oh, that's Bugs Bunny, and now I'm dying. And then smoke's coming out of yours. That is the level of Bigfoot overdose we're talking about. He finds some coffee grounds that Albert had had. He then begins swallowing the coffee grounds to try to put out the eternal hellfire that's attacking his entire esophagus. Papa Bigfoot then runs to the stream, begins drinking water. Now it's Albert's time. He didn't even have to eat. He truly did not have to murder this man. He simply held out poison. The man took it. He grabs a shotgun, grabs his backpack, gets up. He's going to leave his sleeping bag there. He's not going to sleep for a couple of days. Mama Bigfoot flicks her cigarette to the ground, jumps up, because now she realizes something is going on. And that's when Albert aims the gun right at her, gets ready to put a bullet right through Mama Bigfoot's brain. He aimed it just a little bit higher before taking the shot so the bullet flies harmlessly over my girlfriend. I mean, Mama Bigfoot's head. So she panicked. The little baby one, <gasps> freaking out. The little girl one's like, I knew it. I knew that guy was a freak. 
and Albert takes off into the bushes. He's running. He's running. Pushing stuff away. Get out of my way, horse. Moving. I should have ridden that. Oh, I didn't think about it. Running, running. Stepping on squirrels. Running. He gets to a, a like a creek, a river area place. Water. Water is there, right? And he's sitting there. And he sees a... <laughs> this is just, again, such a bizarre detail, okay? This guy just poisoned Bigfoot, took a mercy shot over Mama's head, took off running. Now he's hungry, which is fine. It's not weird that you get hungry. That's that's normally happens to humans. But then, do you know what a do you know what a grouse is? I had to look this up. It's a bird. It's a big old bird, right? So, anyways, normally this doesn't happen. I've never seen this happen in, say, Mission Impossible or Transformers, where the hero gets away from the villain. I never saw that part of Transformers Three or Shia LaBeouf finally outwits Dylan McDermott is hiding underneath the city of Chicago. Sees a, a a bird flying by, like he's the protagonist of the story. Albert's the protagonist of the story. He sees this this grouse or grouse or whatever it is. God, here's this quote: She referring to the bird. She was sitting on a windfall, looking right at me, only a hundred feet away. So you have this big. He described it as a big blue grouse or grouse. Doesn't matter. Just sitting there. He just escaped this horrible kidnapping he'd been trapped for three days manipulating a little boy to become his friend had to shoot at the mom had to poison the dad and now he's seeing this beautiful bird just sitting there she was sitting on a windfall looking right at me only a hundred feet away i shot her neck right off (laughs) this bird just falls to the ground and eats the bird now again just leave that part out dude just leave that part out of your story Again, there's not a scene where Ethan Hunt's like, well, I got away from those uh, Russian kidnappers. They wanted those nuclear codes. I sure am hungry. And you see like a duck walking by, snap. Ethan, what are you doing? The truly impossible mission is not killing animals. So anyways, (laughs) he gets back to civilization, obviously. He gets back to civilization. He did not tell this story for 30 years until eventually he revealed it in the newspaper. Said, hey, you guys ever hear about the time when I took a shot at a woman, thought about kidnapping a young girl, manipulated the feelings of a young boy, and poisoned a man? And they're like, what? He's like, no, 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 no. But they were Bigfoots. And then people go, oh, okay, that's a little less worrying. Albert, you big weirdo. So, I mean, obviously, we have to look at, is, is the story true? And, you know, who knows? It could just be the ramblings of a crazy old man who wanted a little company in his older years. But it could be the story about a Bigfoot who wanted a little company in the 1920s. He was alone. His kids are driving him nuts. He's pretty sure his wife was cheating on him. So he wanted another man to hang out with. So he kidnapped one. Brought him back to his house. Introduced him to his family only to later be poisoned by his visitor. Maybe it's true. Maybe man is the real monster. deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.